great weapon. It's not just about Goddard, Goddard though. It's about Devontae Devontae Smith. Smith. as well. Their team. So Quez Watkins was running free a ton of times, and Hurst didn't see him. Right. So that's what I mean. So we're already set on moving on from Hurst. So like, what? Uh, uh, they're not. It's not the greatest wide receiver core in the league. It's not. Probably not top five. It's not top ten. Speaking of wide receiver cores, what kind of wide receivers are we going to talk about today? Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about Garrett Wilson at some point, but. We are going to start off today talking about Kenny Pitt, Pickett from Pittsburgh. One of the top two wide receivers in most people's eyes in this draft, although that seems to be changing now. A lot of the stuff that's happened after the combine, interviews and all that, seems to have changed it. And now uh, Kenny Pickett seems to, or Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter have worked their way up a little bit into the discussion for, I, I don't know, I heard apparently some teams might have Ritter or Corral at one or two instead of having Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett up there. So I think it has to do with the interviews and all that. But let's talk about Kenny Pickett. Let's focus on him. So Kenny Pickett, like we said, went to Pitt, improved each year that he was there. If you watch the tape, you can see it. His numbers don't exactly show it. Last last year was his only big year. Uh, he also has five years, four years starter. He's Five years in college due to the COVID season that happened in 2020 and all that weird stuff. So last year was his big blow-up year. Played in 13 games. Completed 334 passes for 4,319 yards. He also had 42 touchdowns and seven interceptions to go along with that. Now, Kenny Pickett's mobile. He gets some rushing yards, but that's not his skill set. He's not going to be, you know, Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. But I think his mobility from a standpoint, think of somebody like a Carson Wentz maybe, scramble around a little bit, likes to extend some plays. Yeah, he'd be able to move around the pocket, maneuver in there. So the one thing that concerns me is watching it. He doesn't seem, I don't know how well his speed will translate from college to the NFL as far as the mobility goes. I think he'll still be mobile, but I don't. No, again, his speed just seems to limit his mobility as far as that front goes. So, real quick, anything you want to mention about Kenny Pickett's college career before we dive into some of the numbers from the combine and some of the positives and negatives? Yeah, um, this is a guy who I thought got better every single year. I mean, the numbers uh, don't necessarily uh, say it every season, but the eye test showed you he was getting better. Um, starting as he played a couple games as a freshman, um, played four games, um, didn't light the world on fire, but he was serviceable. And then every year after that, he made a little bit of a jump. Uh, maturity, understanding of the game, um, understanding defenses. And then it ended up culminating in this year where he worked himself in the discussion for a first-round pick. I mean, he threw 42 touchdowns. This is an impressive season. Yeah, so let's talk about then some of the numbers that can run. So the main number, Kenny Pickett, he's got decent size. He's 6'3", 217, so he's not a, he's not a tank back there, but he, he's above average. He's a dif- decent size for a quarterback. The problem everybody has is with his hand size. Eight and a half inches. Yeah, so tiny. for those who don't understand why small hand size is an issue, it affects your ability to grip and throw the football. The NFL football is larger than a football at a college level. And when you watch Kenny Pickett's tape, some of what concerned me about his tape was his ball is a little wobbly. Even when he's set in the pocket and he's got his feet planted, his ball is a little wobbly. When he has to scramble and he's throwing on the run, it gets even wobblier. So part of that has to do with his hand size and his ability to grip the ball. And the concern is at the NFL that that only gets worse. So, again, this is a guy that has continued to improve, and that always seems to translate well. If you continue to improve their college career, there's hope that you can improve at the NFL. And he will be a serviceable starting quarterback. Some of the positives about him, he's capable of making most NFL throws. He doesn't have 
the strongest arm out there, but he can get you. He can get the ball where it needs to be most of the time. He's great at going through his progressions. He didn't have a simple offense at Pitt. He actually had to read through his progressions, which a lot of offenses at college level don't do. It's one look, two look, or run. So he has a little bit more experience than that with some other guys. He's willing to take the check down. So that's when, when we compared his mobility a bit to Carson Wentz. One of the differences between him and Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz will refuse to take a check down and try to make the big play all the time. Kenny Pickett does not do that. He is willing to take the check down if nothing else is there. So he is a very serviceable quarterback. Like we said, he has the ability to scramble, and he has some starting experience. So those are all the positives about Kenny Pickett. The negative, again, is the hand size. He's a little bit inconsistent on his timing with his throws, and you can kind of see it when the throws happen. He'll put this extra zip on it to try and compensate for that. And, again, going back to the wildliness, when he's not putting his full, like, oomph and all the zip into the ball, that's when the ball really wobbles. And just makes me nervous because you can't throw every ball full power zipping it. Do you disagree about any of that, Rich? Did you see some of the same things when you were looking at it? So some of the stuff that I saw, um, I thought he, he threw a pretty impressive deep ball. But when he got everything behind and got everything in and let that thing go downfield, it, it looked pretty. I thought he had good touch passes um, when, when he was floating. Uh, it's whether that be swing passes out or to, you know, a fade route or, um, you know, you're just your classic deep route. When he put the ball, I thought it, it looked pretty good. Um, I did think he needed to work on his ball placement. He hung a guy, hung a couple guys up there, um, a few times. There were some hits in those clips. Yes, there were. Um, I think the tight end got laid out the one time. Uh, he he hung a Addison up another, and it's something you're going to want to work on. There one in particular that stuck out was across the middle. He hung a he hung a dude up on a slant, and he got absolutely blown up. And you compare that to some of the NFL quarterbacks. You watch where that ball comes out at, and, and you see it's down. Watch Tom Brady and watch where he throws those slant routes over the middle when he knows the linebacker's waiting for Chris Godwin or waiting for Mike Evans. It's low yeah. so they can get down and avoid that hit. There's that crazy thing that some that those professional NFL quarterbacks at that level can do where the ball's like sailing, 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 and then gets to a point it just drops. And you're like, how did it do, how did do that? that? That doesn't yeah. like make sense to me from a physics standpoint. Mm-hmm. Again, I just saw a little bit differently with Pickett with some of his throws. Like His deep balls were accurate when he was planted and throwing, again, because he's putting all of his zip onto the ball. Right. But when I felt like he had to make it on the move or while he was scrambling, it just it became wobbly. Like It still got there, but the ball itself just looked a little wobbly. And just concerning because of the NFL level, the ball is bigger, so it might be a little bit different. Maybe it's more to do with his mechanics as far as he's throwing the ball on the move because it's not as bad when he's staying in the pocket and gets his feet set. But it's one of the it's something concerning. From a fantasy standpoint, Rich, where are we looking at for Kenny Pickett? What's his what's his ceiling as far as being a fantasy quarterback goes and what's his floor? This is the more interesting debate for our community. I see him as one of your you know, your prototypical game manager guys. He's yeah. he's gonna come in, they're not gonna ask him to do too much. They're not gonna tell him to go out there and sling the ball thirty five, forty times a game to win it, because I don't know if that's the recipe with him. Um but you want a guy who's going to be 200 yards, maybe a touchdown or two. It could be a QB, too. Would you say that it's fair that his ceiling is somewhere around Ryan Tannehill, Kirk Cousins? Uh, a little lower. As far as fantasy, not NFL-wise. Fantasy like production. Fantasy is pretty good. I like Kirk. I but, he, again, borderline top 10 is where yeah. Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill fall in that 10 to 14 range. Is, 12. That's a ceiling. 12. Right. So 10, that's 12, what we're saying yeah. as far as the ceiling for him. Uh, the floor for him is Sam Darnold. <laughs> so, Whoa. Huh? Yikes. Yikes. 
I mean, it's just one of those things where, so, I mean, that's how you yeah. can say that about most quarterbacks yeah. when they go, like, their floor all, is yeah. is out of the league in yeah. three to four years. We'll say you know? Pickett is a terrible name for a quarterback. Don't, yeah, we don't like the, that as far as. Uh, no, analyzing players, I know it doesn't count for much, but, you know, pick it, pick it. It's not good. Not for a quarterback. Yeah. For he's, a corner, he's not that'd as, be awesome for a corner or safety. So, that's what you're getting into with Kenny Pickett. Uh, if he goes to the right offense that's kind of already set up and doesn't need a lot, somewhere like the Carolina Panthers that have DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson and Christian McCaffrey, and I think he'll be relatively successful to start off, kind of similar to maybe Mac Jones-ish in his, in his rookie year. could see that. But I wouldn't expect him to come out and be Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. And even Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes took some time to get to where they were at. So... That's it with Kenny Pickett. Let's yeah, move on then to... Garrett Wilson? Garrett Wilson. Yeah, let's do Garrett Wilson. All right. Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. So Garrett Wilson is another guy whose numbers kind of went up each year. You know, he went from 400 receiving yards, 700 to over 1,000. Again, played at Ohio State. Some decent competition. Last year, he had 12 touchdowns receiving-wise, so that's good. I think what surprised a lot of people about Garrett Wilson is that between the two Ohio State receivers, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave being the other one, everyone thought that Chris Olave was going to come out and be the faster one hands down, where Chris Olave would run like a high 4-3 and Garrett Wilson was probably going to run in the 4-4s. Four it's actually the opposite, not quite the opposite, but different, whereas Garrett Wilson ran a 4-3-8 and Chris Olave ran a 4-3-9. So both extremely fast, but Garrett Wilson showed up a little bit faster at the combine than most people were expecting. The other number that was surprising with them is they were both in college listed at about six one and a half somewhere around there, and then they both get measured at the combine, and Chris Olave is about two inches taller, and Garrett Wilson is about two inches shorter. So I I, I don't understand why I, I I don't understand that at all. I know colleges usually fudge the numbers sometimes, but I don't understand why they made these guys appear to be like the same height when they were in fact about four inches different in height wise. So Garrett Wilson is a little bit smaller than you'd like for a typical number one wide receiver, but the tape is good. He's got great burst. He's a fluid athlete. He makes people miss, and he fights extra. He's he's great with the ball in his hands. Once he gets the ball in his hands, he's going to get some yardage, get some space, make some plays. He's got the speed to run past defenders. We see it on there. He's got strong hands. He plays physical. He's great at contested catches, and he's not one of those guys where sometimes you'll see they'll go up for the ball, they get in their hands, and the defender comes up and just kind of knocks it out. He's got strong hands. That don't happen to him. So he snatches the ball out of the air, and he's great at making yards after the catch. Here was my biggest concern from watching the tape, and we'll get to more of some of the other concerns a little bit, is that he does that weird little jump every time just about he makes the catch. When he's not doing a comeback or curl route or he's doing like a straight go route where he's got where he's going full speed he always does these weird little jumps where he like jumps up and he kicks his one leg back leg back out real far and it just it slows down his some of his momentum a little bit sometimes it's to adjust to make the catch but he does it even when he's wide open there's nobody near him i think it just limits some of his ability to get some extra yards after the catch yeah i saw it a couple times on tape the ball was on the numbers and he jumped for no reason it was just a little confused it's, it's more nitpicky than anything because you see still the production. You know the type of athlete he is. Um, he ran a diverse route tree. Um, you saw the production. It, it's, it's nitpicky, but it is it is a little, like, like, what is that? Yeah. So 
that, in addition to that, some of the other little bit of negatives about him, one of the problems that he has a little bit that most of the wide receivers, if not all the wide receivers in this class have, is he doesn't always use his hands on the deep ball. Sometimes he lets it come into his pads and his body. This is going to be a constant thing you're going to hear about most of these wide receivers because yeah, they all catchers. seem to struggle with it. Yep. They're body catchers, most of them anyway. The tight ends are better about snatching out of the air in uh, this year's draft for some reason. Uh, he also sometimes runs before securing the ball, which leads to some concentration drops. Again, this is another theme you're going to see through some of these wide receivers. They just sometimes try to turn up field and go. And maybe this is why he does that little jump, because if you're jumping in the air like that, you can't be turning up field to go. And when you see him do that jump, this doesn't happen. He doesn't drop those balls because he's not turning up field. But Could be. Again, just another... But again, these two things I could say about any of the top six, seven wide receivers that people are talking about. I think just about pretty much everyone, except maybe like Jamison Williams doesn't have a problem as much with the uh, concentration drops. A lot to like about Garrett Wilson. He also struggles a little bit against press coverage due to his slightly smaller frame. But again, with his height-weight combo, he's a little bit more solid than somebody who would be 6'2 and 180, whereas, you know, he's 5'11 and 183. He's almost, he's almost 6 foot. He's 5'11 and 3 quarters, so he's about 6 foot, 180. He's a little more solid. He's not a, you wouldn't call him a big wide receiver, but you also don't look at him. He doesn't look like a lanky sort of wide receiver. He's solidly built, I would say. So, I believe he could be a I believe he could be a prototypical wide receiver one for a team. That's where I kind of see him going. I see his ceiling as, you know, he could be one of those top wide receivers who's compete, who could potentially end up in the top 10 as far as a fantasy standpoint goes. I see his floor, honestly, as a wide receiver two from an NFL standpoint, maybe a three from, like, a fantasy standpoint. Where, like, I believe he's going to get his shot, and even if he doesn't carve out that role as the number one on a team, if he goes somewhere where he might have to compete or might have somebody else – He'll still be a solid, usable fantasy wide receiver. Yeah, I expect it is like floors a flex play for yeah, fantasy. Exactly. So that's what kind of separates some of these wide receivers when you're talking. Like I like a lot of these wide receivers that go, but some of these wide receivers that other people are more hype about for an NFL perspective, their ceiling is a little bit capped because like somebody, you know, example like Sky Moore, who's five ten. And a little bit lighter is I, I don't know if I see him gaining a wide receiver one role as easily, and I see his more likely role as being a slot wide receiver, and that has less value or less upside from a fantasy perspective. Some of some of the slot receivers have been very productive and very good. Cooper Cup, Adam Thielen, Deontay Johnson, for examples. Cooper Cup and Adam Thielen are built differently. They're bigger wide They're receivers, power, power, power slot slots, wide yeah. receivers. Deontay Johnson not so much, but Deontay Johnson thrived on volume. And when you see slot receivers dominate like that, like Julian Edelman used to, it's typically because of heavy volume like that. So that's just kind of makes me more nervous about the smaller guys, where I don't see the ceiling for them that's as high as some of these other guys that are bigger body. That from an NFL perspective, you're a little more nervous about because they're a little rawer, but. From a fantasy perspective, when their ceiling is higher and they potentially, like, when I still feel their floor is a usable wide receiver on an NFL team, I'm going to put them higher than a guy that I think will most likely start on an NFL team, but I think will most likely be starting as a slot wide receiver too sort of type player. So Garrett Wilson is in that tier where you feel that he's probably solidly going to land into a wide receiver one role. Even if it's not right away, he'll probably secure it in a year or two depending on the team that he goes to. I think fantasy-wise, we're looking at around a top 25 finish for Garrett Wilson, depending on the team that he goes to. That's what I might just in a vacuum. If you if you were to say right now, just where would you think he this guy would finish from a fantasy standpoint? I think that's somewhere where he would he could come in at. Dope.
Yeah. All right. All right. So we're going to move right along then. Another pass catcher, Trey McBride out of Colorado State. Yeah, Colorado State. I don't know why I said it right there. Colorado State. <laughs> Little southern <laughs> accent came out. I don't know why. I'm not from the south in any way, shape, or form. Trey McBride, tight end from Colorado State. That's what I wanted to say. That's what we're going with. He's another guy. He's been productive throughout his year in college. You know, didn't do much his rookie year. Only seven receptions. Used more of a blocker that season. Had a better year in 2019. 40, 45 receptions, 560 yards. 2020, COVID season. COVID season. Only they only played four, four games. games so, But he managed 22 receptions of 330 yards in those four games. So that was promising. 2021's really really broke out like a lot of these other guys. A lot of guys that people seem to like always tend to break out their last year of college, and then guys who are just kind of steadily productive don't seem to get that kind of love. So that'll be another theme that you'll notice throughout the draft, is that a lot of these top guys, productive their last year, not so much the first couple years. Uh, some recency bias that happens in the NFL as well. But Trey McBride, you watch the tape, and it kind of lines up with everything we've seen. Again, his uh, senior year, 90 receptions, 1,100 yards, that true? I we lost his touchdowns. He only had one receiving touchdown though, so that's interesting for Trey McBride. But yeah, we could check that. That producer Mike may be correct. That who are we looking at here? Trey McBride. Trey McBride's touchdowns. It says he only had one last year. Is it a typo or is that right? Yeah, did I cut something off? It looks like it's right. The total seems to add up. So he only had one touchdown last year. They didn't one. use him much in the red zone. Little, yeah. Little. I don't know if that concerns me as much with him. You know. Does that concern you at all, or that the tight end didn't have a lot of touchdowns at Colorado State, Rich? Not really. I mean, he caught 90 passes. Um, yeah. He averaged 12.5 yards per reception. I mean, that seemed to be his average throughout the course yeah. of his season, with the exception of the shortened 2020 it's, season. It seems like but. he's more of a chain mover than a touchdown machine, which is fine for fantasy. PPR, that, that's the playable. All right. So Trey McBride comes in at the Combines. He's 6'3 and one eighth of an inch. He's 249 pounds. Had a solid, had a pretty good vertical and broad jump. Did well in the bench press. His numbers all line up, and when you see him, he looks big. He looks solid, and this is important because in the next episode we're going to talk about Isaiah Likely, who is a little bit taller but a little bit lighter. And there's just a complete difference in the way that these two guys look. Like you look and see Trey McBride out there, and you can tell that that's a tight end. That's a big dude out there on the field, and. He kind of checks all the boxes that you want from a typical starting tight end. He's got strong, reliable hands. He's got good hand-eye coordination. He snatches that ball out of the air. Again, we talked about this earlier with the wide receivers not being good at that. Trey McBride is good at that. So he, we saw it at the combine. You saw it on the tape. He reaches his hands up and he plucks that ball out of the air. He's got a high football IQ. He's the versatility to line up all over the field. I mean, they use him as a blocker. They line him up in line. They line him up in the slot, outside. They move him around wherever you really you need him. He's a polished route runner. You know, he's not, like, the most spectacular, but he's definitely an above-average route runner as far as that goes, so he can gain some separation just with his general route. He's a mismatch against the linebackers with his position. He's got that high competitive motor. He's always trying every play. He's always putting it all. Even when he's blocking, he's giving his all. He's putting the effort in there to sustain his blocks. He's not a guy that gets beat at the start and then just kind of gives up on the block and watches the dude run past him. He keeps trying. Now, for all of his positives, he does have some negatives. He doesn't possess that elite speed, so that's something we talked about. So this is athleticism in general. He's not an explosive. No, so that's kind of a little bit of a downside on him. He's not. He's not going to be Travis Kelsey. He's not going to be George Kittle. He doesn't have that sort of speed. He's not going to take off down the seam like some sort of track star. 
you can use him down the seam and he will win by bodying people and getting those catches. But as far as it goes from a fantasy perspective, I think we're looking somebody who could be TJ Hawkinson, Dallas and Goddard. Dallas Goddard range. I, I, lo- I like Trey McBride. The more I watched on the tape, the more I started to to actually like him. He, very tough to tackle one on one. I don't know oh. you want. He was dragging people, tossing people off. He's him. always that's I wrote that down. He's a he was willing. He's a physical runner. He's willing to yeah. break tackles. I he like runs, his yak He ability. carries yeah, people. He, I think that can translate the way he's going to be able to break tackles. It's, it's tough to take down. Um, the more and more I kept watching, I'm like, it's, I'm kind of getting Dallas Clark vibes. The more and more I was watching, I'm like. I could see it. The way he could break some tackles and get on the move a little bit, get ahead of steam going. Um, the way he can work the seam and high point that ball up top for a contested catch. So, right. So let me elaborate a bit on what I was saying. So in Dallas Goddard and TJ Hawkinson versus the uh, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle have these big plays where they're like taking off down the slot or like down the seam and like get a lot of yard. Like they just have a lot of big explosive plays is what you see from guys like them in addition to the volume that they get. But I meant Dallas Goddard and TJ Hawkinson is sort of that they can do everything. They're always going to be on the field. They're not always going to be targeted because they're going to be blocking. But they're still going to receive enough volume because they're good enough route runners and just physical like mismatches against linebackers and other players like that that they're still going to see significant volume. So I wouldn't expect a, a ceiling of Travis Kelsey, but I expect him to finish closer to like in that second tier of tight end range is what I see for Trey McBride. Not a top three, but he could be a top five guy. He could be Mark Andrews, potentially. He could be, you know, potentially. Who's the other guy? Darren Waller. He could be one of those guys. Uh, I view him more at this moment if we had to draft them. Again, I view him more closer to Dallas Goddard and TJ Hawkinson than necessarily Andrews and Waller. But he could be Andrews or Waller. I don't see the Kelsey ceiling for him is where I guess we would put it. I don't see it for really any of these tight ends. I don't think anybody, you know, Travis Kelsey's kind of one of the kind as far as that goes, but he we'll doesn't... We'll get into one on a later episode. Yeah, so... Has the ceiling, but the floor is way low. Right. That, I think I might know who you're talking about, but we'll come back to that. So, that's it as far as Trey McBride goes. Again, from a fantasy standpoint, you're looking at a guy who will probably be competing for a tight end one spot throughout his career. I don't know if it's necessarily year one. It will depend on his goes, where he goes. So we will circle back to all of these guys again once they're on teams and drafted. But this is just to give everybody a general feel as to what type of players these people are and what, where to set your expectations. Because sometimes when it gets up to the draft, it's like all hype. I know when I'm listening to other podcasts by professional networks, I hear them talking this guy up, talking this guy, talking this guy. And then, like, it finally gets down to it, and it's like, oh, well, he's got a fourth-round grade on. I'm like, well, you know, a fourth-round grade on this guy, like, how, you know, what, what does that really do for me? So we're trying to put this in perspective so you understand where to expect, and you don't set your expectations too high for these guys, and you understand kind of what the floor is, what the ceiling is, and where the most likely outcome is. So that's kind of what we're trying to cover with all of this. So that being said, let's move on to another guy who I think has a a higher ceiling than people are kind of giving them credit for. Really, the whole running back class as a whole, I don't think was getting a whole lot of credit. Brees Hall out of Iowa State. So Brees Hall... Productive running back pretty much his entire time at Iowa State. Three-year starter. Has a lot of touches. A lot of touches. 718 rushing attempts in his three-year at, at Iowa State. So he's got a lot of tread on the tires. That's one of his one of his negatives. But 
He's a very productive runner. He's at, you know, his freshman year he averaged 4.8 yards per carry. After that, he averaged over 5.5, so 5.6, 5.8. He had 21 rushing touchdowns last year and, or sorry, 20 rushing touchdowns last year and 21 rushing touchdowns the year before. He set a streak, I know it was at least 24 games in a row with rushing touchdowns. Do you know exactly what it was off the top of your head? I don't it, remember the exact number. He was in the 20s. It was 24 or higher because I remember from watching it and hearing the tape the announcers talking about at one point. He had at least 24 games in a row with a rushing touchdown. He's also used in the passing game, so he's got you know a decent amount of receiving yards throughout his career. He definitely used more than a lot of the other running backs as far as receivers go. He's got a decent size and build. He's 5'11", 217, so he's a solid, again, when you talk about kind of these guys, it's important not to just look at height and weight differently. You've got to look at them kind of together because a guy who's smaller but over that over the 200th round threshold is going to be different than a guy who's 5'11 and 180 or a guy who's you know 6'3 and 200 pounds. When you, it, It's just more mass compact into a smaller frame. So I like his size. His speed at the combine, he ran a 4.39, and that surprised a lot of people. He doesn't look that fast on tape. You watch the tape and he doesn't look that fast. So that's something that you got to try to rectify. Why does that happen? How does that make sense? I will say, though, when watching the tape, he didn't look slow. You don't often you don't see people coming up and catching him from behind. Typically when he gets caught, it's because there was somebody who was deeper down the field who just caught over and got him. One of the things he excels at, though, that I really saw it stood off for me when I was watching the tape is he's got great field vision. He sees he sees where the blocks are, and he sees the holes and the lanes and the angles throughout the field, and he finds them, and he takes off. And so you watch it, and like you don't see him running past guys and blowing past them because what he did was he ran at an angle where like all the defenders that were further down the field were facing the opposite direction, and now they have to turn around and spin and try to catch up to him, and so... They're, while they're adjusting to do that, he's just sprinting straight forward, and they lose their momentum and their speed, and they end up behind him, which is why I think it doesn't look like he's running fast because he's not blowing past people just straight up with his speed. But that's how he makes people miss. That's how he gets lanes and gets open and has those big plays, whereas there's other guys we'll talk about that, you know, you think of somebody like a Saquon Barkley, they're a little shifty. They'll run up, and they'll be like a foot away from a guy, and they'll do a little juke move and get open. And that's not what you see from Brees Hall. What you see is him always find the lanes and hit those lanes and get some yardage with that. And he's. I think that will translate well to the NFL because if you can follow your blockers, if you can see the field and see where the lanes are, that, that translates. You don't need to rely on your own necessarily shiftiness or speed because again the nfl level the defenders are going to be faster and shiftier than they are at the college level so sometimes some of those shifty guys don't really work out at the nfl level because they're also smaller backs too and that kind of plays into it but Brees hall i think with his ability to read the lanes like that with his ability to in the passing game as a receiver he looked very natural as a receiver when i saw his hands i think he looked he looked good so his Vision and patience, that combo is just deadly. Like you were explaining that, that uh, him finding the lanes. Like he uses that patience to set up blocks, set up the defenders, right? And it uses that vision to slide through. And almost the times we're into you a little bit of Le'Veon Bell where he'll dance yeah. a little bit behind the line and, and wait for opens. that hole to open. It opens and, up. And he hits it. Yep, boom. So, but, you know, he wasn't a very sudden athlete. And what I mean by that is, like, like you said, with the stop on a dime, cutting back and forth. And no, nah, it wasn't him. But he was a very smooth athlete. He's always taking the right angle from the mm-hmm. get-go. He doesn't need to cut back because he's taking an angle at such that the defenders now are, are going to end up behind him. Yeah. 
Now, some of the things he does need to improve on, he doesn't break many tackles when he watches the plays. Again, a lot of the big plays you see when he takes off, he's pretty much untouched for a lot of it because of those angles that he takes. But when you do watch it, I, I, you just don't see too many plays where he's breaking tackles and running through people. And I think that's because he's just always kind of taking the blocks and the lanes that are there. Like, even if the... If, even if he's he's not trying to get 20 yards when there's not 20 yards there. If the block if the blocking assignment's only getting him three or four yards, he's going to settle for that three or four yards and not necessarily try to make the bigger play. So he's not always breaking tackles and juking people out. He also needs work as a pass blocker. That's a common theme through all of these running backs. Just like the wide receivers have those one have those one or two themes. The theme throughout these running backs are not typically good in pass pro. He needs to improve. Sometimes when I saw it, like, he just didn't even know what to do on pass, or, like, plays where he wasn't running a route or getting the ball, and he had to, like, if a, if a blitz didn't come right at him, like, he didn't know what to do and who to pick up, and he looked a little, like, a little confused or, like, lost sometimes in some of those plays. Now, they were a little bit quicker plays, and, again, they weren't designed for him in any way, shape, or form, but, like, it didn't look like he was finding somebody to block or, to, like, to lay out to put a hit on somebody. It looked like he was confused as to what his assignment was. So that's something he needs to work on. And then, again, he had, he between his receiving and his rushing, he's had over 800 touches at the college level, so you're a little concerned about that. But he hasn't had a lot of injuries. So any injuries he's had have been real minor, and he's just played through. He's pretty much played through them, so he doesn't have any durability concerns that you can point at you can say oh well he has a lot of touches so he might, but you know again that's until that actually happens you know we how long did we say about that for Derek Henry before it happened right. you know I know he got hurt last year but again that was after so many years of those touches so just don't think that he's just you know going to come in and get hurt in his rookie season just be or just because he had a lot of touches in college as far as NFL projection wise what do you look I think we're looking at somebody who has a potential to be a top 10 running back between his combination of, of rushing oh, and yeah, receiving. His ceiling is absolutely uh, you know, in that RB1 category. Now the question is whether or not he could hit there this year, which is highly dependent on where landing he goes, spot, his yeah. landing spot. It also speaks a little bit about some of the running backs that we have in the NFL at this point who either don't have a clear-cut wide or clear-cut number one role or just don't see the volume in both the passing and running game for it to be there, but... Brees Hall has that potential where he could be a top 10 running back this season if he goes to the right team. I don't know that he'll be a top 5 like a Najee Harris, but I would expect production probably similar to Javante Williams, I think would be fair to say. Maybe a little bit more because he doesn't have to work. Rick, uh, as far as Brees Hall goes, would you rather have Brees Hall, like Dynasty, like you know, today, would you rather have Brees Hall or Joe Mixon right now? Without knowing where Brees Hall landed, yeah, spot, yeah. Uh, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon. What about you, Ryan? <sighs> Can I get an age on Joe Mixon? We're talking dynasty, right? Yeah, we're talking. Are we dynasty. talking dynasty or this season? No, we're just talking dynasty. I'll pull. Uh, okay. Mixon's if, I was gonna here. say if it was this season, I would take Joe Mixon. If you're saying from a dynasty standpoint, no, I'm, yeah, I would, I'm I would be looking to bring in Brees Hall to possibly re- replace a Joe Mixon, maybe. Sell high on Joe Mixon. I think Joe Mixon might be twenty-seven or so. Say you just, own the one hundred and one right now, and you you know everybody thinks it's going to be Hall, and you like Mixon, you willing to sell that? Do you think that's a, a fair trade? You I, sell one hundred and one to get Mixon. I wouldn't sell one hundred and one for Mixon straight if I had one hundred and one. You don't think I so? Probably need a little. What do you? Yeah, mate. You you need uh, more. I think so. Yeah, I'm with him. Just again with the age with Mixon, with. The pass catchers they have there, like just, uh, are, they're not going to be a run-heavy team. He gets a fair balance of both touches, 
and their offensive line should improve. But my again, my concern is how long, how much longer we have in Joe Mixon. Right, did you, more, did you find out his age? Yeah, he's twenty five. He's twenty five. Okay, yeah. so he's younger than I thought. So he's yeah. actually got three or four more years then. Uh, I would might. It's tough because it's you don't know what Hall's going to do. Situation plays a factor into it too. You know, like, yeah. Say Brees Hall lands in a, in a RB committee, and you might not get that production until right. Yeah, but you don't you don't season. know if right now. At, if at the moment, I would at the better. moment I would take Mixon. That is what yeah. I would say. I would take Mixon for a dynasty. I think you want, if you're competing, I think you want Mixon. Yeah, if you're competing, you want Mixon. Rebuilding, it's easy. You want Brees Hall. Right. I don't know that taking Brees Hall necessarily prevents you because, like, that's not in the draft. That's not really your choice. Yeah. So, you know, right. Joe Mixon or Brees Hall. So taking Brees Hall one hundred and one, if you need a running back to compete, isn't. Isn't a bad option. That's one of your better options if you need a running back to start right now is Brees Hall. I don't think he'll do better than Joe Mixon this year is what you're saying. Because, like you said, he, he could go anywhere. What if he ends up on the Jets and he's sharing touches with Michael Carter, you know, and that just tanks both of their values. And then not, neither one of them can hit the top ten running back ceiling that they should have on their own. So, Brees Hall, at minimum, will be a capable RB2 this upcoming season. Yeah, I agree. If you're using Brees Hall as your RB2 or RB3, you're in good shape. If you use your RB1, I'd be a little bit more nervous because what are you doing? Um, that might be how it is in our Dynasty League, though, because some of these guys don't really have running backs. They have older running backs or guys that were kind of one-year pop-offs. So. Yeah, we'll see. I know a lot of people in our leagues are... I'm so sick of people telling me that they're interested in my running backs but not actually make, trying to make a trade for either of the, or any of the running backs. And then when they do, offering me Dookie in exchange for my running backs. Yeah, you guys got uh, any trade, like anything that you're looking into right now that you're trying to get done that, you know, might not just pertain to our league, but... You were trying to make a move for Michael Pittman. Yeah, right? I made some initial inquiries about Michael Pittman. Michael Pittman, that's how you like right now? For the right price, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not going to overpay for Michael Pittman, but... If given the right deal, I would absolutely buy some shares of Michael Pittman. And you were in agreement with me that Michael Pittman's a top. Th- you actually said he would be higher. Yeah, I, I think I have him top fifteen this yeah. year. I, I did my top twenty wide receivers rankings, people, uh, for this moment. Wide receivers currently on the list, and I'm surprised at some of the ones that Rich is against because I thought <laughs> I thought he would have been against like these five towards the back and like these two in the middle, and he's against all these other ones that I wasn't expecting. He agreed. He was actually thought I was too low on some of these guys. I thought he would laugh at being in the top twenty. Michael Pittman is a guy he thought would be higher. I have him at like eighteen. I believe because he should improve with Matt Ryan there as a steady quarterback as opposed to and Matt Ryan feeds his number one targets to track it back all the way back to Roddy White when Matt Ryan came into the league and and look at the number of targets that Matt Ryan's number one wide receiver from Roddy White to Julio Jones to even Calvin Ridley go and look it up. I'm just telling the line because they're a run. It's a run heavy team. It's not the same as being on the Falcons. He's not going to be throwing. I don't know that he'll be throwing as much. They run a lot with Jonathan Taylor. Right. I'm also concerned they might draft a guy at some point. Now they don't have a first round pick, so whether or not they take a wide receiver, they're set. But this isn't a team. You know, they have some holes, but I don't know that they have any holes that are that glaring. They need an offensive tackle, but I don't know if you take an offensive tackle in the second round. I don't know if there's an offensive tackle that's worth taking in the second round for them. You know what I mean? So. Maybe they go wide receiver, and then if there's another wide receiver. NFL people seem to be down on Michael Pittman as a number one wide receiver. I know when I'm listening to all the guys, you know, on, you know, move the sticks and, and first draft and all that, they're, they're, none of them seem to be set on Michael Pittman being a number one wide receiver. Oh, I, don't, I don't know why. Pull the next-gen stats up. He, he fries man-to-man coverage, which is what you want to see out of your number one. And on the Colts, who else was, who was drawing number one coverages last year? 
Right. So that's what I mean. Him. So you figure he was getting the number one coverages, and maybe it's because he was up and down, but I think he was more up and down because he had He's Carson Wentz at quarterback, who's a little bit more erratic. I mean, we've just always seen that from Carson, whereas his, his wide receiver play, the the play that his the production from his wide receivers is always inconsistent. Even when it was Alshon Jeffrey on the, on the Eagles, and he had that good year, it's still one of those ones where it's like, eh. He might put up close to 20 points this week. He also might put, like, eight points up because, for some reason, we're just not looking at him. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. So do we have a uh, – that's that's all the rookies we have to talk about today? That's all the rookies we're talking about at the moment. We're going to have another episode coming up where we talk about a few more. Again, just trying to put everybody into perspective. But other than that, that is all for this episode. Yeah. We never even did an intro. We didn't even tell anybody what day it is, who we are, what's going on. So. Yeah, well, you know, they'll see the upload date. Yeah, that was a, that was a cool intro. We were, what were we arguing about again? Who cares? I don't think we were arguing about so, it. It was just a general discussion yeah, about some nonsense. All right, we'll sign us off, right? All right. So that's going to be all from us today at Fantasy Oddballs. I'm Ryan McNichols. It's Rich Houck, producer Mike Coyle. Talk to you all next time. See you guys. Later, guys.